The Week in Doubt, news stories from a secular perspective, unscripted musings, and even documentaries on strange and interesting topics from history. The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whomever. Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, the host of The Week in Doubt, and how do you like that new intro? Well, technically, a reconstructed version of an old intro that got lost in a hard drive crash. Uh, but anyway, I may only use that intro at the beginning of these news story episodes, documentary episodes, or little episodes that are dedicated to a single topic. Probably won't. But I think it's good to have something like that at the beginning of at least some of the episodes to give people who are maybe new to the show an idea of what they're getting into. I know the show, the focus of it can seem pretty scattered. Sometimes I'm doing news story episodes. Other times I'm doing occult documentaries. Other times I'm doing uh, holiday episodes. And it can seem like I'm all over the place. I think that does a concise job of letting you know what the gist of the show is all about. And so I figured I'd try to keep the tone of this week's episode relatively light. Because I know last week's episode got pretty heavy. I ended up talking about veganism for well over 30 minutes because I was addressing the story of how well-known atheist YouTuber Alex O'Connor, aka Cosmic Skeptic, who is also a staunch vegan activist, ended up kind of quitting veganism is... That the proper way to couch it? Uh, anyway, and I know veganism can be very, that topic can be very polarizing, very divisive. People on both sides can get very passionate. And uh, to that point, it's funny, when I release a video on YouTube, I'll notice that within the first hour after releasing it, I'll usually have in between three to five to nine upvotes, usually zero down votes. But within probably the first half an hour after releasing that Cosmic Skeptic video, I had about three or four down votes uh, telling me that not everyone was crazy about that topic, or at least my take on it. And of course, you guys can't see the down votes unless you install some kind of plugin or add-on. I think, what was it, maybe half a year or a year ago, the way time flies? But YouTube implemented this change where viewers can no longer see the downvotes on a video, but they want me to stay neurotic so I can still see how many uh, thumbs down I'm getting in my, uh, on my YouTube Creator Studio page. But let's start this episode off with something fun. I was almost going to make this a standalone episode, but then I decided to incorporate it into this news story episode. A good friend of mine who I've known forever, we came up through the same school system together. We used to play in a band together. He recently DM'd me through Facebook and let me know that there was mention of the show in an article about Lucian Greaves, of course the head or co-founder of the Satanic Temple, and because the Satanic Temple is a non-theistic organization, and they're religious freedom activists, they get involved in separation of church and state issues, I've covered them quite a bit on the show over the years. And... This goes all the way back to 2016. I seriously cannot believe 
how quickly time flies. And uh, the same friend and I were talking about how just how kind of depressing and surreal it is that bands like Pearl Jam and Metallica are now considered classic rock and played on classic rock channels. And he was joking about, it's a joke, but it's also true, how he heard ACDC being played on a quote-unquote oldie station. Just, I don't know, it seems like someone just put me in some kind of cryogenic sleep Press, you know, press the fast forward button and then woke me up again. But anyway, and this shows you how long I've been doing this show. This was back in 2016, but it, this is the first time I had ever covered the Satanic Temple on the show. And it was all the way back on episode 208. I think we're well over 400 episodes now. It's probably well over 500, to be honest. But it may have been a couple of years ago. Once again, the way time flies, I don't know. But Apple implemented this policy where they no longer wanted you to type in the episode number in the title of your podcast. Uh, they want you to do it through kind of metadata, through a tag or something to that effect. So I've kind of gone back and forth numbering the episodes and I just finally gave up. So I honestly have... No idea exactly how many episodes it's been. But anyway, I remember, you know, sadly, I was trying to be complimentary in my coverage of Lucian Greaves and the Stank Temple. I was behind what they were doing from the get-go, but I kind of repeatedly put my foot in my mouth and got off to a bad start. For instance, I repeatedly referred to it as the Temple of Satan instead of the Satanic Temple. And I remember joking that I should start my own Temple of Satan, uh, $1,000 per membership, and I'll send you a membership card crudely scrawled with crayon on the back of a paper plate. Uh, but anyway, and then I openly mused in the episode about uh, Lucian Greaves' eye, which was probably insensitive, but it wasn't meant to be. I was talking about how much I liked his aesthetic and I thought he looked cool and I was wondering if he was wearing different colored contacts a la Marilyn Manson, you know? And then also, it was probably insensitive, but I used to like to, you know, give the episodes these kind of colorful, funny titles back in the day and I entitled it Episode 208, Onward to Glory with a One-Eyed Satanist. Reminds me how I had another episode I think I entitled Satan's Got a Shop Vac. I was at work one day and a shop vac suddenly came on by itself. Couldn't figure out how the heck it happened. Do I actually think something supernatural happened? No, <laughs> but it did kind of freak me out. I think we all probably have that superstitious part of us, you know? But anyway, that episode 208 led to Lucian Greaves and I tweeting back and forth. I was almost going to say on Twitter, but that would be a bit redundant. And yeah, so he tweeted at me saying, my eye is actually scarred, but I'm happy to learn that this disfigurement might have the appearance of a fashion statement at the weekend doubt. And in this modern internet age, we can probably all relate to those moments when, you know, you're just dealing with text on a screen and without the nuance 
and the emotion that you get with actually hearing someone's voice, it's hard to know what the intention was. So just judging by those words, it might sound like he was a bit peeved or being sarcastic, but turns out he was actually totally cool. Um, so let's see. Yeah. So I, I replied, hi, Lucian. Hopefully I didn't offend. I'm a Manson fan. And it was the first thing that came to my mind when I saw you. And he replied, not at all, exclamation mark. I hope to wear it well. And then I also said, was unaware of your work until a couple of days ago, really enjoying the videos I found of you on YouTube. And he responded, thank you. Next time you care to talk, TST, have me on. And to this day, we still haven't spoken, on the show at least. We have, I think, had other little pleasant exchanges on Twitter. But as I get older and have been thinking more and more about what direction I ultimately want to take the show in, because I, I've, deci I've decided, I can talk, I decided a long time ago that I'll probably never give up doing the show. It's become such a, an integral part of who I am. But I would like to, I think, branch off in the direction of doing long-form interviews. I would probably still continue to do news story episodes and those little documentary episodes, which are my favorite thing to do. Um, but yeah, I would like to have really long-form, meaningful conversations with people. Both people like Lucian Greaves, who I have a lot in common with and are probably more simpatico with, and also people who I might have a, you know strong differences with, like like maybe even Christian apologists, but instead of having these contentious debates, try just to have um, good-natured conversations, try to find maybe some areas where we do agree or explore their ideas and kind of probe their ideas, but without getting nasty or rude about it or too argumentative. And just have different interesting talks, maybe with scientists or on spirituality, uh, things like that. Uh, I think that would be really interesting. I just have to get my act together and create like a, a studio space that's suitable for that type of thing. But that's just a little dream of mine that I'd like to make come true in the relatively near future. Relatively. Uh, I don't want to make a liar out of myself by putting a, a deadline on it, but hopefully relatively soon. And when I do get the show going in that direction, I would absolutely love to have Lucian Greaves on. I think we would have so much in common because we're both non-believers, we're both skeptics, but at the same time, there's also that appreciation for a kind of dark aesthetic an interest in things dark and spooky, maybe even the occult, you know, where Baphomet is an occult symbol, obviously, and I've talked about that ad nauseum on the show. But yeah, I think that would be very interesting. But to bring things back around to what got us started on this subject, my friend didn't provide me with the exact link to the news story where he found mention of the show, but he did include a screen grab. And you can see right in the middle of this news story, there's an embedded link to um, Mind and Lucian's Twitter back and forth dating back to 2016, which is kind of funny. Um, but I tried to find the article on my own. I didn't want to bother my friend by going, hey, what site were you at, you know? But surprisingly, I was able to find several news articles that had, uh, you know, a link to 
our back and forth on Twitter. And uh, but they were all kind of sketchy. They weren't any any big name news outlets. They were the kind of uh, news sites where you're afraid to click on anything lest, uh, you know, some kind of spam tab open up or whatever, which seems to happen even with the big name uh, news pages now. <laughs> but uh, one of them, for instance, is, an, is called 44 Bars. There's another one, ZGR.net. So I don't know what's going on. And the quote unquote 44 Bars one the name of the article or the title of the article is What Happened to Lucian Greaves' Eye? Defect or Mutation? <clears throat> what Happened to Lucian Greaves' Eyes? Net, it says netizens. I, I guess that's a cute way of, of saying people online, people on the net. I, I almost wanted to read it as Nietzscheans. <laughs> what Happened to Lucian Greaves' Eye? Netizens are curious to learn about the eye injury of the co-founder of the Satanic Temple. Here we've got you covered. And then you, you skip down and there's uh, The Weekend Out, Phil Albertelli, The Weekend Out. And you click on it and it takes you to Twitter. So almost internet famous story of my life. But I wonder if this helps to explain why this old tweet just seems to never die. It keeps coming back to, you know, embarrass me over and over again. Um, I say that half jokingly because I am proud of this little exchange that I had with, uh, with Lucian Greaves. And when it does come back up again, it brings me a little joy. And at the same time, it does make me feel a little embarrassed because I did, in a way, kind of make an ass out of myself. I got the name of the organization wrong. I kept calling it the, um, the, the uh, what was it, Temple of Satan instead of the Satanic Temple. And even though I didn't mean to, I was kind of insensitive about the situation with his eye. And this is a funny exchange. So only, it was only in 2017 I tweeted, is everyone just now discovering this ancient tweet? And someone named Dread Pirate Robots <laughs> said, greetings from 2019. I googled, is Lucian Greaves' eye really like that? And this thread was the top result. It really does look like a fashion statement. And I replied, dude, you have no idea. I embarrassed myself publicly with that whole thing. And people are still liking and retweeting it all the time. At least at Lucian Greaves was a good sport about it. Anyway, I thought that was a nice walk down memory lane, but let's move forward. So next up, we have a clip that's been making the rounds. It features... Uh, Seemingly immortal televangelist Pat Robertson. He, he's been around since I was a kid. Uh, it's kind of like Mumra from the Thundercats. Pat Robertson, the ever-living. Um, but offering a relatively based, based as the kids say, take on transgender people. Relatively, but uh, here it is. This is David who says, I work with two people who have decided that they are females. I know what the Bible says about homosexuality, but is it wrong to refer to them as females since they've had their gender status changed in the eyes of the law? Uh, Why would you have to refer to them as females uh, by I don't name understand or? all that, but uh, I think there are uh, men who are in a woman's body Mm -hmm. It's very rare, but it's true, or women that are in men's bodies, and uh, they, they, they want a, a sex change, 
And that is a very permanent thing. Believe me, when you have certain body parts uh, amputated uh, and you have shot up with various kinds of hormones, uh, it's, a, it's a radical procedure. Uh, I, I don't think there's any sin associated with that. I, I don't condemn somebody for doing that. But somebody who just says, well, I'm really a woman, I, I question the validity of that statement. But they say they're, they're counted as female. You, you don't count somebody as female unless they really are, or male unless they really are. In this instance, so this is a person who works with two people, so he doesn't really know their intentions no. or know their personal uh, medical scenario. It's not for you to decide or to judge. All right. Okay, so as I've said on the show before, I've been trying to make an effort to be less political and maybe try to avoid some of the divisive or divisive uh, culture war stuff. Um, but I am a fairly progressive left-leaning person. I am personally supportive of gay and trans rights. But I try to keep the focus of the show on religion, the big existential questions, goat-headed deities. <laughs> um, <clears throat> cracking myself up, Baphomet humor. But, uh, but I will still touch on this stuff when it intersects with religion. And here we have a household name, uh, Pat Robertson, and a 90-something-year-old uh, televangelist commenting on trans people, and I think that's kind of interesting. But yeah, given his advanced age, and that's not meant to be a slam or ageist, it's just uh, someone in their 90s, you might expect a kind of cultural disconnect with younger generations who might be more understanding or accepting when it comes to these issues. But yeah, given his age, the fact that he's an evangelical Christian, a televangelist, it is a relatively enlightened take, I think. He and his co-hosts do make a couple of iffy comments but you have Robertson himself saying, you know, it's not your place to judge and talking about the possibility of having a man in a woman's body, a woman in a man's body. And I've heard people on both sides of the argument kind of take issue with this concept that, you know, you can have a woman's brain and a man's body, a man's brain and a woman's body. And I remember it wasn't that long ago. Uh, Kyle Kalinske of Secular Talk interviewed Jordan Peterson. It was a very awkward exchange because um, Peterson was just in a really kind of standoffish kind of mood or whatever. Yeah, very awkward. And Peterson said something like it was stupid or dumb to suggest that you could have a man's brain and a woman's body or vice versa. But from my understanding, there's actually been studies done that suggest that often the brains of trans people seem to align more closely with the brains of the uh, biological sex they identify with, as opposed to that of the biological sex they were assigned at birth. For instance, there's an article here from the Cleveland Clinic. And here the doctor is saying the male and female brain have structural differences. Men and women tend to have different volumes in certain areas of the brain. Uh, 
When we look at the transgender brain, we see that the brain resembles the gender that the person identifies as, Dr. Altenay says. For example, a person who is born with a penis, I have one of those, but ends up identifying as a female often actually has some of the structural characteristics of a female brain, running out of breath, and the brain similarities aren't only structural. We're also finding some functional similarities between the transgender brain and its identified gender. In studies that use MRIs to take images of the brain as people perform tasks, the brain activity of transgender people tends to look like that of the gender they identify with. Research in these areas is extremely limited and more research needs to be done to find conclusive results. Dr. Altenay notes, but we're already seeing definite trends. Then there was a paper or study from the National Institute of Health that says that um, the brains of trans women seem to kind of hover between that of cis men and cis women. Uh, let's see, a Scientific American article that says trans people have brains that are different from males and females, a unique kind of brain. Science Daily, brain activity and structure in transgender adolescents more closely resembles the typical activation patterns of their desired gender. And of course there we could get into the whole can of worms regarding the difference between sex and gender. But I'm just trying to make the point that it seems like there very well could be a physiological, biological, neuroscientific component to, um, to being trans. And even if there wasn't, let's say there wasn't for the sake of argument, I still believe in, out of just human decency, referring to people in the way they want to be referred to, you know? Oh, then right at the top, and yes, it's from Wikipedia, so... I'll leave it to you how much you feel like trusting Wikipedia, but says a 2016 review reported that early onset androphilic transgender women have a brain structure similar to cisgender women's and unlike cisgender men's, but that they have their own brain phenotype. And so as strange as it might sound, I mentioned that there were people on both sides of the divide who seemed to take issue with the concept of a biological basis for being trans or component. And you might wonder, you know, why would pro-trans people be against establishing that there's a biological component, you know? And, uh, but here's another Scientific American article entitled, The Search for a Quote-Unquote Cause of Transness is Misguided. It can be well-intentioned, but it's a dangerous path that leaves little room for a real understanding of gender and gender identity. Me personally, I think the more scientific evidence we have, the better. And if you can... I mean, we should accept people no matter what, but like I was saying, but if you can show that there's a scientific basis, I think that would make more people more likely to say, oh yeah, okay, we can see there's an actual cause for this. We should be more sympathetic, more empathetic, more accepting. Not that they should necessarily need scientific evidence to be more empathetic and accepting, but you know what I mean. But I just read this headline to show you that there are even people on the other side of the argument who seem to not want to focus on a um, physiological or biological cause.
Okay, I'm getting a little serious here. I thought I said I wanted to keep the tone of this episode light. So this next thing is, uh, it's kind of wacky and funny. At least I find it funny. But some of you are probably going to hate me because uh, it'll probably gross you out. So I was on YouTube and I clicked on a YouTube short. I forget the title of it, but it was uh, clickbaity enough that I fell for it. And it's ironic because in that last episode, I was talking about how much I like cereal. And this YouTube short was all about a disgusting food additive that's in cereal. And I think years ago, I talked about some really gross food additives. Like, uh, there's one that comes from the anal glands of beavers. It's the type of thing no one would believe you if you told them, so you have to make them look it up for themselves. I think it's called castorium or something like that. Yeah, this is from a 2015 Business Insider article. Vanilla-scented beaver butt secretions are used in food and perfume. Castorium is an anal secretion beavers use to mark their territories. It also happens to smell like vanilla. Oh, boy. But the one I heard about in that YouTube short is lanolin. And I remember hearing the word lanolin growing up. I think it was usually used in, like, moisturizers and beauty products. But what lanolin is, it's uh, this grease that coats the wool of sheep, and it's a it's exuded from their sebaceous glands. And then it's harvested, treated, and added to food products because it contains vitamin, naturally contains vitamin D. And um, a vitamin D deficiency can be very serious and can lead to um, conditions like rickets, etc. <sighs> yeah, and so it turns out it's used to fortify many very popular breakfast cereals. And so as you can imagine, either because they might be vegan or you might just be squeamish about consuming sheep grease, you know, you might not want to eat this stuff. And I guess the trick is if you look at the ingredients on the box, if it says D3, that probably means the vitamin D came from an animal source. If it says D2, it probably came from a plant-based source. So there's that. And I was standing in the, the cereal aisle the other day like a weirdo turning over all the cereal boxes. And they like, all, almost all of them contained vitamin um, D. Some said D3 up front. Others just said D. And then I'm like, is that the... Uh, is that D3 or D2? What's it mean if it just says D? And I was reading online trying to find out which ones contain this crap and which ones don't. And I guess one of the only big name cereals, I think there's several, but one of them that doesn't contain it is Captain Crunch. So I'm just imagining myself like a grown ass man <laughs> loading up on Captain Crunch at the grocery store. Hey, it's an excuse to go back to a childhood cereal, I guess. Uh, they probably think that like Captain Crunch is so junky, it's basically just sugar. Why, why even try to save it? <laughs> you know, why fortify it at all? One thing that bummed me out is two of my favorite cereals, I think, contain that stuff. Cheerios and Raisin Bran. You know, they taste pretty good, but they're also fairly healthy. Uh, so there goes that. And I swear I wasn't trying to be a pervert, but I googled lanolin, and all of a sudden all this stuff about nipple cream started to come up. 
I guess it's fair. I don't know if it's used for nursing mothers or whatever, but there's all these results about uh, nipple wax or nipple cream. Now, the idea of someone greasing up their nipples with sheep uh, grease, I, I don't know. No, there's a Friday night for you. Okay, so I might end this one on a little bit of a heavy note. I actually received some listener feedback, or should I say viewer feedback. This was in response to um, the YouTube version of a particular episode. And there seems to be uh, a kind of synchronicity or some synchronicity going on. A lot of stuff having to do with 2016. Back in 2016, I released an episode entitled An Atheist Reviews Risen. And Risen is this religious-themed movie starring Joseph Fiennes, uh, the brother of Rafe Fiennes, I believe, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Fiennes or Fine? Anyway, um, I believe Joseph Fiennes portrays a Roman officer who I believe is charged with investigating either the disciples or the supposed resurrection of Jesus. And I think the movie starts off with Ray, or Joseph Fine's character witnessing the crucifixion. And so he goes on this kind of journey or arc where I don't know if he ever fully converts to Christianity, but along the way he becomes much more sympathetic to Jesus and his cause. He might actually witness Jesus's ascension at the end. I forget. This was, what, seven years ago? And I'll say that my usual policy is if I see someone leave a comment on an old video and it's negative or antagonistic, I won't even bother replying because it's like, why take the time to defend a video that I can barely remember making, you know? But if it's a nice comment, then I might go out of my way and favorite it or like it or leave a, uh, a nice response. But this one really caught my attention. The person wrote, I'm curious, how does the idea that there is no God make you feel? It's very poignant, perhaps even blunt, but not in a negative way, just very straightforward. It almost reminds me of the way in which a therapist might couch a question. And so there was something about that that I really liked or appreciated. And so I responded, thank you for the question. To be honest, it fluctuates based on my state of mind at the time. There have been times in my life where the idea that there may not be a God hasn't really bothered me. It's as if I accept the transient nature of my own existence as a part of the natural balance. But there's other times when I'm in a more fragile headspace that the idea that there might not be a God and this may be all there is does trouble me. I've gone through a number of existential crises or dark nights of the soul in my time. Kind of going through one now, to be honest. But doing my best to hang in there. Winky uh, emoticon. And I've talked about this on the show before. I think when I was in my teens, late teens, I had a really bad, really heavy existential crisis where I'd basically closed the door on any belief in a personal creator God. You know, I had been raised Catholic, but I'd come to the conclusion that was just another man-made religion and no one really had the, <laughs> the ultimate answer. There might not be anything out there, you know, and I... I was in a really dark place, a very dark place. It just felt like everything was 
empty, meaningless, and futile. But the analogy I used to use on the show in an attempt to explain it is just like how the body can heal with time, it can be very resilient, the mind too can be resilient and and heal with time. And I think after a while, just wrestling with those big existential questions, you can kind of become a nerd after a while and find your equilibrium again and not be bothered by the idea that there might not be anything after this, you know? And I can honestly say that for probably the second half of my 20s and all my 30s, I started this podcast in my 30s when I was getting into my late 30s. And uh, the idea that there might not be a God or that this might be all there is didn't really bother me. You know what I mean? But once in a while, like I've noticed that When I'm having a depressive episode, I seem much more susceptible to kind of feelings of existential dread, you know, and I think that's what's happening with me now. Like I've mentioned, uh, in fact, on the last episode, I mentioned it, that I've been wrestling with uh, some depression and anxiety. And yeah, um, depression and feelings of kind of like emptiness, existential dread, um, you know, they can kind of go hand in hand. But the thing is with me, no matter how deep and awful that existential dread or feeling of existential emptiness was, I still wouldn't try to placate myself with ideas I didn't actually believe. You know, I still have that sense of integrity that I would rather suffer the not knowing rather than try to comfort or convince myself with ideas that can't be proven or defy my sense of reason. But with that, I think I'll call this episode a wrap. I started the episode saying I wanted to keep it light, and then it ended on a very kind of dark existential note. But all right, brothers and sisters, you guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter, even though I'm not on there much. Um, If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. And I'm going to try to be more active on Patreon, uh, you know, going forward and create some some more bonus material for you guys uh, who are good enough to support me. And I know famous last words, but I, I mean it. Uh, At least I hope I mean it. I'm going to do my best. And also, of course, you can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. All right. Until next time.